Welcome to the Power of a Woman podcast. This podcast is centered around helping you reclaim and finding yourself as a woman, connecting with how you want to feel in your life and body, and changing the narrative on not only how we approach health for women, but also how we treat ourselves and the stories that we tell ourselves. I'm so grateful you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome back to The Power of a Woman. So this one is for all the women who are moms, soon to be moms, want to be moms. This is a conversation that I feel like is necessary. And if you guys have followed me on social media at all, you know that I'm starting to create something for the women who want to be moms or need support with fertility and their hormones and conception. And what are those things that really come into play? And one of those support pieces that I really missed with our first pregnancy and I'm so grateful to have found who I have with our second is something that I want to bring in an awareness to for a lot of women. And that is a lot of the pregnancy and postpartum support outside of just your typical doctor or midwife that, that a lot of women I don't think are aware of. So today I have Jennifer Lewandowski with me. And if you're in Metro Detroit area, you may be aware that she's a doula in this area. You maybe have even worked with her, but if you're not, she is a doula and she works in in different facets within working with women. But we met after I had our second son and lactation, I was struggling with lactation and she came and she did some one-on-one sessions with me and it made a massive difference for me, even from our second session that I wished I had someone like her in our first. So I'll let her intro herself, you know, what she really does and how she kind of got into what she does. And then we'll keep going. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Brooke, for having me be here. I absolutely love what I do. And I love spreading the word and helping women through the exact phases that you are working with them as well. It's a passion of mine. And yes, I a little bit about myself. Um, I've got three children, all college age, husband. Um, I started off first getting my degree, my bachelor's degree in early childhood, and then stayed home with my kids. And when I first came home with my first two, and I was 24, I struggled with breastfeeding and I sat there on the couch and just cried. And it took me about eight weeks to figure out this process. And I was like, this is rude. Like (laughs) this is so cruel. You know, it's like, you might have a mom or something, but it's like, they hadn't breastfed for however many long you have girlfriends, but they were usually struggling the same. And how do you tap into them when they're exhausted and resource and don't have the resources as well. And I sat on my couch, literally, like I would give my credit card to anybody to sit with me on my couch in my home and just give me the support and love and tenderness and nurturing and guidance and education with breastfeeding. So I started volunteering for the um, Beaumont parenting program. I did that for 16 years and I was in the realm of a a peer breastfeeding counselor as well as a parenting partner. So I was doing a lot of helping parents be parents. So my degree helped me kind of segue into helping parents be parents and helping them reduce the anxiety and the fears of coming home with these babies. So I would meet with new patients on the mother baby floor at Beaumont and just walk them through. And my heart was just helping them realize that the anxieties they have shouldn't be as great as they are and the resources should be there. So 
when I started that, I kind of looked into someone had mentioned doula and I was probably like, you like, what is a doula? So I started looking it up and I'm like, okay, well, postpartum doula is someone who goes in and basically was doing what I was doing at, at Beaumont is like supporting these new mamas through this new transition and helping them, you know, find some normalcy in, in their new realm as a new parent. And so I decided to do the training for that. And it kind of got combined with, you could do the birth doula training as well. So I went and did both of those trainings and got certified through Dona and being certified through Dona, you have to do three certification births. Well, when I did those births, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And wow, this is really awesome. So I was doing both postpartum doula and actual birth doula. And so that's how it segued into me being the birth doula. And because I had already done peer breastfeeding counseling, I also became a certified lactation counselor, which allowed me to go into homes privately and service them because that was another passion of mine for so many years. Also being a teacher, then I also got certified to teach childbirth ed classes. So really at this point in my life, being 53, having, you know, my own experiences, but also with what I've done over the last 10 years, this is my 10th year of being a doula. I really say really through pregnancy, birth, lactation, early childhood, and really most things postpartum, there's very few things that I probably couldn't be a good resource for a person to lean on to support through that. It's just a passion of mine. And I just find there's too much fear and anxiety that goes on and it's not fair. Like I yeah. said, rude. <laughs> it is. And it turns into, you know, with our daughter, I was struggling with, with lactation and I had no idea what a postpartum doula was. I was struggling in general after having her because I feel like it was just a massive whirlwind. You went sure. from, you know, being independent to all of a sudden you have this tiny little human attached to you and so dependent on you. Like I remember the first week my husband went back to work and I was like, calling him in tears. I was like, I haven't been able to brush my teeth today. Like, you know, you're just so in it. You're just really in the thick of it. And finally we broke down. We we're like, we need to, we need to hire like a postpartum doula because someone had suggested it. And I was looking into it and I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, right. why did no one tell me about this ahead of time? I would have just had this lined up. Right. You know, and a lot of it is because it's a, we always say it takes a village. Right. Uh-huh. But years ago, women had way more support. Women would have, you know, their mom or their mother-in-law or other women around them to support. And that just doesn't exist today. And I think that makes the value of what you do so much more important to come in and support women. Very true. Um, that was one of the things I was going to say is that, and it's sad because really America is very terrible about taking care of their mother's postpartum. Yeah. I have to say what I have seen really Brooke in the last probably two to three years is a lot of my clients their husbands have actually been allotted a lot more paternity leave. Yeah. I am ecstatic. Sometimes 12, 16 weeks of paternity leave, which is just amazing. And yes, I think postpartum doula is becoming more prevalent and people hear about it because in America, we just don't support our moms as well as some of these other countries, the European and Asian countries, really, usually it's 40 days. They have their daughters sit in bed and they feed them and take care of them, do their laundry and whatnot. One thing I would have to say that, you know, to kind of say a little bit about through COVID, there was a lot, lot more studies coming out 
of these women having better successes with the transition and with breastfeeding. And if you think about it, it's because they were made to be at home. Husbands were also at home with them, husbands, partners, you know, whichever it is. And they were able to work together. And we saw studies come out with much better outcomes because the support was there. And I don't know how you felt, but even when my husband went back to work, I didn't necessarily need him to do a ton or a lot for me, especially because I was breastfeeding. Yeah. Sometimes I just wanted an adult present because I was nervous to be on my own. You want someone just sitting there to like bounce ideas off or to say, Ooh, I'm feeling like this. Or, you know, I remember looking at the mail and going, I can't even open the mail. How am I supposed to take a shower and to have any normalcy in my life? Yes. Women need to know. And I reiterate this all the time when I see my moms in their postnatals, which is, you know, as a doula, I see them postnatally. And we have these discussions of don't put too much emphasis on three months from now. Yeah. You're dealing with today. You're in survival mode. It will come. But sometimes I think our, I, and again, I'd have to say, I think it's a little more, more of our American ideals. Yes. Is we need to be at this stage where we're so independent and we don't give, we don't give ourselves any grace. Yeah. So true. Uh, I actually agree with you. So two totally different births. I'm very actually grateful that our second was in 2020 because my husband, and I say this all the time. It gave us the time leading up to him coming. It gave us so much one-on-one time with our daughter before our son came, which we never would have had before. We were taking walks daily as a family. And then after our son came, he was home with me for seven weeks before going back to work. And I would have never had that time with him. He would have never had that time to bond with our son after he was there. And he even says it made a massive difference for him because after having our daughter, I think it's a hard thing for your partner to to admit too, is they can sometimes have a hard time bonding with the child because they weren't the one that birthed them, carried them, and is producing the milk for them, right? And all those things. And it gave him that opportunity to be that, to be there and to support. And I think a lot of our partners really want to do that. They just don't know how, because they're pulled in so many other directions at the same time. And it gives them that space to be able to do that. Right. No, I totally agree, Brooke. So you are the perfect example of these COVID eras that, you know, of course, a lot of us want to say a lot of stuff that we're like, ah, we don't think that it was the greatest, but you know what there, I think sometimes we have to pull out the beauty in, in the chaos. Right. And you, you obviously pulled out the beauty and sometimes it might've taken you guys a year or so to go, wow, look at how that really impacted us. And, and in general, it goes back to what you're trying to look at, which is, the care of these women for themselves and for their babies and looking at how do we, how do we support there is, so I, I do very little postpartum doula right now, but I have done it obviously, but there is a great resource. Have you heard of the after baby lady, Jill Ryder? No. So anybody who's listening, if you look at her web, her on the web, the after baby lady, she has a collective of postpartum doulas and she'll set you up with one, you know, that fits your profile of, you know, the time frame that you need. And so she's probably one of the biggest collectives in the area that you would just look at her and it's a great resource to get those postpartum doulas, you know, to help out. I would have to say in the postpartum realm, Majority of the women in these first couple of weeks, their biggest anxiety is breastfeeding. Yes. And postpartum doula is 
amazing and great and they help and they have the basics of breastfeeding. Some of them have a little bit more. So it's great in that there's someone there to help and support in those tired survival days. Having someone sit on your couch with you and work with you with breastfeeding. Most women are leaving the hospital now. There's over an 80 to 90% of women that are breastfeeding when they leave, but the it decreases dramatically after about two weeks because yep. the support is not there. Yeah. I left and I, the lactation consultants, I remember in the hospital came around when I was feeding my son and it's because, because he was my second, they assumed I had it down, yes. but I, I ended up pumping with our daughter the whole first round through. Cause she had a lip tie that was diagnosed too late and she didn't want to latch after that. And sure. with our son, I had an idea of how I was supposed to go about it. Right. And, and they were, they looked at me and they're like, Oh, you've got it down. You're good. They watched the latch. And then you came into my world, right. Because like a week or so later, I was like, something's not right. This is painful. It's still hurting. I was oversupplying, which with our daughter, I undersupplied. Right. And then you came in and got hands-on with me and really like worked in with it. And it was a massive difference in the latch. And so sometimes I've tried to explain to people, I'm like, sometimes that what you're getting is not always exactly what you need. If something is wrong, something doesn't feel right. You also have to trust your intuition as a mom, you have it, just listen to it. If something doesn't feel right, there's nothing wrong with having some additional support just to come check it out and yep. see if you've got it. Yeah. Yes. Pursue, pursue, pursue. I hundred yeah. percent agree that mama gut it's pretty, it's got some pretty good instincts and it'll tell you if things don't feel right. People don't realize a lot of my clients will say, well, my friends told me it should, it'll hurt. It should hurt. And then you'll just get through it. Well, yeah. actually if latches right from the very beginning, it shouldn't, it should never hurt. You might have friction tenderness, but there should be no damage. That yeah. nipple should look beautiful and rounded when the baby comes off you know, if, if they're nipple feeding, they're snack feeding, and then it just, it snowballs in the wrong direction. It's huge in the hospital. It's just sad because it's just our system. It's not necessarily all the lactation. It's just that they don't, they have limited time, um, limited resources. Some of their education's a little bit different than what I do. Um, and they do assume, especially if you're a second or third timer that you've got this and they just kind of do a quick little this and that, and they go off and then you're thinking, well, I guess I do know what I'm doing, but then you have that, that a week or two later, you still have that soreness and tenderness. It's not okay. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So, all right, for the people that are listening that don't know what a doula is, or this is the first time hearing about it, what does a doula do and and what stages of pregnancy do they work in? And what, like, what are expectations that someone could have of a doula during that? Okay. So doulas can actually step in at really any place in your pregnancy. It just depends on how quickly you call them for myself, this being my 10th year. And I've done several hundred births at this point, most of my clients and people that hear of me, it's not unusual for them in the first trimester or my repeat clients, they literally pee on their pregnancy test. And they, sometimes I know before everybody else, I'm like, put me on the calendar. So it's great to be in that realm, but Anytime during your pregnancy, you can step in. I would say majority of people wait till that 20 week ultrasound, see how things are going halfway into it. Because after that 20 week ultrasound, most people are like, Oh, that we're halfway done. And now we're going to get the room ready and think about the shower and things like that. So you call, you know, the, your doula, you get them on, um, the, the process is, let me tell you a little bit about a doula. The word is a Greek word, which means woman servant. A doula is there to walk you through your birth 
um, to give you continuous labor support. They don't deliver the baby. Um, those are midwives or doctors. I am there to give you emotional and physical support throughout your whole labor and delivery and for two hours postpartum, and also on an educational aspect too. I'm there with all of my education to walk you through the birth. We always, one of my taglines is expect the unexpected. We do not know how you or baby are going to react in labor until you're actually in labor. Yeah. So there's lots of standards that we see. And when I teach my classes, I walk them through, but I go, these might be some of the things that we look at, but I don't know. So as those things happen, I'm there to say, here's the pros and cons of what I think is going to happen next. What do you think? So it's a sounding board. It's a cheerleader. It's a coach. It's a someone who's I'm standing by their side, not leaving them. And walking them through that labor. It's something that I've done several hundred times. Yeah. So a lot of people just meeting me, getting me on the docket that I'm going to be with them. You watch that level of anxiety drop dramatically. They're like, I just already feel better that we hired you and listen to you talk and say what you're going to do for us. A lot of people don't realize too, 50% of me there is for the partner as well. Yeah. The partner gets to step into the realm of the birth of their child with much more peace. They can, if they need to use the restroom, they can, if they need to go eat or drink something because labors can be lengthy. Yeah. And so I'm there to say, you know, take a 20 minute snooze. If something happens, I'll let you know. Doulas themselves cut down the length of the labor as well. Um, there's lots of reasons for that. It's teaching women to do that mind over matter that their body is strong and powerful. Yep. It can, it can do this. It's ways of teaching them that they're not, it, they're not doing, this is not a medical procedure. This is your body doing what it needs to and teaching them to embrace what they're feeling in their body. That's that kind of hypnobirthing realm. The other realm for me is um, spinning babies is huge in the birth world. You want to have pick someone who knows spinning babies. If you don't know what spinning babies is, just look it up and it's ways making sure that that baby's back is up against the belly button. If we don't have a baby placed directly for birth, the cervix doesn't get the right information and it, we can stall. We can stall at, you know, a certain centimeters. We can have a baby that kind of gets stuck. And that is where more interventions come in. That is where we typically see C-sections, but my, my longer, my shorter births are my non-medicated births. Doesn't mean with, with me as a doula, you can choose an epidural if you want, just so people know in the, in this whole, especially hospital birth world, midwives and doulas can do epidurals and all of this too. Doesn't mean you have to have a natural non-intervention birth. That's your choice. A doula is also there to be non-judgmental and to walk you through this birth. So where I lay out all of your choices and you say, and you get to nitpick and say, I want this, this, and this gen. And I go, okay, this is your birth. Let's go into this birth with you having the knowledge that you do. And there's just so much more peace that comes with having a doula. And so then once you get to the hospital, you're in active labor. That's usually when most doulas will show up and then we're there. And then I'm bringing in that husband to enter, uh, I'm sorry, husband partner um, to enter, to work with me because it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's hands-on. Yeah. 
Um, and it is, you know, myself and the partner are doing lots of comfort measures, double hip squeezes, things like this. Another tagline for me is movement and gravity are friends in labor. Oh, a hundred percent. Get the baby out. We're not laying in bed, staring at the side of the bed rail and just waiting for this baby to come movement and gravity hydrotherapy acts like an epidural you get in that shower, that tub, you watch these moms just go, (laughs) and if you're relaxed and your muscles are relaxed, that cervix is relaxed and it's going to open up a little bit better and more. So it's all these tools and techniques and tactics that we use to walk you through that birth. And really we're holding your hand and just doing our job to walk you through and to make you feel empowered, safe, and at peace. I mean, being an advocate, right. More than anything, especially in a time when a a woman is probably in her most vulnerable state and needs someone to be the advocate for her. And I think our partners may not know how to be that advocate. I know. So I did hypnobirthing before our second, because I started exploring it more. My husband, after our, our first said to me that he felt like the least important person in the room. And that kind of broke my heart because I was like, well, this was your child too, that was getting birthed. And he didn't know how to support me. He, you know, he was playing with me and I, I did not want him down near what was going on the whole time. So I made him stay sure. up in my head and he was breathing with me. And at one point I was like, stop breathing on me. Right. But I was like in that moment and he didn't know how to help and no one was directing him on how to support me. Right. And we did hypnobirthing before we had our second and it was a game changer for us. We learned spinning babies in there, right? We learned a lot of those things because then it really gave him a role in how he could help and support through that process too, and really be a part of that process, you know, but still, even in that, I still wish I would have had that third person to really be that advocate in my labor, because I still don't feel like maybe that was really his role, right? It was his role to like be a part of it, but having somebody who wasn't that emotional aspect in it to be that advocate, I think makes a huge difference. Right. Very true. And I think that we, um, it's crucial that this partner feels that they're important too, and that they are part of this labor and delivery. And if they are feeling, you know, pushed to the side, that's not a great experience for them. Yeah. Um, my job too, as a doula is to listen to these partners and to say, how do you want, how do you envision yourself in this birth and labor? How do you envision me servicing both of you during this labor? Some are like, I'm really, really squeamish. And I have some who will walk out of the room and that's why they need the doula because some of them will faint. Okay. There's yeah. a thing called vasovagal yeah. and they will, they will faint. And I've had several of those. So they walk out, then the, then they know they're not doing a disservice to their, to their partner. Right. Yeah. So I think here's the thing that people say too, you have midwives, you have nurses and doctors, but they also have several other patients. Yes. If, especially I'm talking hospital, I do hospital births because I feel that's where I can most effectively advocate yes. for um, changes in the birth world. Okay. Yeah. People are like, well, I've got the midwife. I've got the doctor. Well, chances are with a doctor, you're going to see them at the very end with a delivery. Um, Midwives love to be in there. And sometimes the midwives will labor sit with me if they have time, but they usually have sometimes three to four other patients. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Um, So they're off of them. And one of my clients, I, she has four kids. They didn't have a doula for the first. They're like, we're having one for, I did two, three, and four for them because with the first one, her husband said to me, I did not know when that nurse left that room and said, let me know if you need anything. He said she left and it was ours. He was like, I, I didn't know what I 
didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know what, how I was supposed to help or service my wife. Yeah. And so he was like, I would never do a birth without it. So I think partners need to realize that my job is not to step in and to take any of their place of support. It's to help them support in the realm that is, is yeah. best for them. And with teaching childbirth ed, and even if they've taken childbirth ed by someone else, I say to the partner, when your partner is in labor, she is not going to be able to say, Hey, can you do that comfort measure that was on page 73 in the book? Yeah. And she's not gonna be able to vocalize that because she's just concerned about one surge after the other. Yeah. And he's going to be like, huh? Cause he doesn't do this every day. It's not his profession. Yeah. So I honestly think that everybody in the U S really the European model is everybody gets a midwife and a doula unless you're high risk. Yeah. Even if you're high risk, still have the doula. Usually they'll switch you to doctors if you're more high risk, but that's the European model. And really they should be paying for doulas. It'd be really nice if insurance would start paying for doulas. They've gotten a lot better with lactation and that might come as they see the reduction in interventions and cost by having a doula on board. Exactly what I was just going to say. When you, when you have a woman who feels empowered in her body, trust her body, trust that her body knows what to do through the process, mm-hmm. doesn't feel the rush to intervene with things and trust that her body is doing what it needs to do, then the less intervention, the less cost it's going to be for the hospital, the less cost it's going to be on the insurance, right? It's cost a hell of a lot more to have a C-section than it does to, to you know have a vaginal birth, right? So I think if we could understand the proactive measures that we could take to one, reduce the risk of something horrible happening when you're there and and reduce the risk of those interventions needing to happen. One, the U.S. has terrible ratings for maternal health or for maternal birthing measures too, right? We could reduce those significantly, but we keep looking to the reactive approaches instead of looking to that proactive place that we could really be supporting what's happening at the root. Right. And a lot of that too. So like for me in my realm, whether I've taught your childbirth ed or I do a prenatal with you, my prenatal includes labor prep, which is all prepping that body with natural ways that, and my clients, I was actually talking to one of them this morning, she birthed a a year ago. And after she had her birth, she said, Jen, you kind of drove me crazy with all that labor prep, but I a hundred percent see how it paid off. Yeah. Um, it is all those natural remedies that we use a uh, red raspberry leaf tea and the primrose oil and even pineapple and things like that, that aren't crazy. It's yeah. just you and doing spinning babies maneuvers, seeing chiropractic, getting your body prepped. I say, you've held this baby up in this nice tight bud. Yes. Now we need it to bloom and open. And if we can't open up, baby has a hard time descending. So it's ways of stretching and moving your body and practicing those spinning babies maneuver. So your body and your baby keeps going, Oh, this is what I do. This is what I do. Cause when I get in into that room with you with labor, we're going to redo all that whole, like that circuit training that we do. And it's amazing over and over again. First of all, the best work is done with the doula and myself and the partner in the, and the birthing woman and, and the partner though, everybody leaves. I'm like, I just, leave us alone. And then, you know, they, they come in about an hour later and this woman has, I would say 90% of the time, this woman is now at a different level after we've gone through all of our spinning babies maneuvers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's so huge. Hypnobirthing and spinning babies are huge. And so you need someone who's well versed in both of those to help you get through this, this birth. It's so attainable. Hypnobirthing made a massive difference for me in the contraction. So my second labor was quick. It was five hours from the start of contractions to when baby was out and it was fast. And it was I mean, great in that aspect. But when I got to the hospital, once my contractions started, my start, they started around like a 10 PM timeframe. Our nanny got to the house for our toddler. This was 2020. So our toddler couldn't come to the hospital with us. And then I, I was lucky that my husband could be in the room too um, right. at that point. So we got to the hospital and I was already seven centimeters dilated and I didn't realize it because the hypnobirthing was helping so much with me being able to relax into those surges and be able to just be with my body that the pain, it's not that the pain didn't exist, but it did not feel like it did in my first labor. And I could have kept going the whole time. I was at nine centimeters by the time that I actually got into my labor room and I was fine. I was really fine the whole time. Yeah. I mean, that mind over matter is so huge. It's realizing that this should not be something that is fearful. It yeah. should be embraced. And I always talk about when I teach my classes, that fear, tension, pain cycle, when you're fearful of something, you tense, yes. when you are tense, you're reducing the amount of oxygen to your muscles. That reduction of oxygen creates more pain, more yeah. pain creates more fear. My job as your doula is I'm wedging my foot in that fear, tension, pain cycle, and I'm stopping it from cycling. When I walk in or I get, you know, you know, a partner will say, oh, she's already asking for the epidural. Cause like with COVID, obviously I have certain requirements for me to get in there. They have to have a room yeah. and whatnot. Cause I used to be able to go into, into, into triage, but I would get in there. And my thought is, oh, I got to switch all these buttons to the opposite. And yes. I'm like, let's regroup. Let's get her to realize that she is safe. She is in control. Embrace what's going on to just, just take those deep breaths, relax, drop those shoulders and succumb to what your body's doing and feel and, and women might think that this sounds a little weird, but feel the joy of what their body is doing because it's a beautiful thing. Instead of thinking, ah, and they're bracing and they're being fearful of it. People, a lot of partners have said to me, Jen, I didn't expect labor to look like this. Mm -hmm. They expect Grey's Anatomy where the water broke and they're, <laughs> they're screaming. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's very rare that someone, you know, screams or feels out of control. I go, it is serene. There's aromatherapy. There's candles. You're usually in the tub, jacuzzi tub, bubbling water. You've got your playlist, your, your meditation or your, your quiet music, whatever you've picked doesn't have to be quiet, but I mean, they, they, you pick your own thing and it is a serene environment. And these moms get in this zone and they rock it out. Yeah. It's what your body is in. I think having children made me realize how amazing a woman's body is, but it is, it's really getting out of that fear. I've, I've had clients like, so our daughter was eight and a half pounds and our son was nine and I'm not a large human, right? Like my hips are smaller. So, and I remember my doctor telling me, cause I was nervous that um, we were going to have twins in the beginning. Cause my husband has twins um, oh, multiples in his family. And I remember my doctor being like, you do, I do not want to see multiples on your frame. And I was like, I know. And I was like, I'm, I'm terrified of this. Right. But and then when I really like, once I birthed our kids, I'd said to my husband, I was like, we're not having any more because the way we're pacing, it's going to be a 10 pound baby, right. For the third one. Okay. But I remember looking at that. And I remember somebody saying to me, 
realizing how big our kids were going to be. And she said, your body will never like produce the human that you are not able to birth. And I remember when somebody said that to me, it was like this instant relaxation of like, my body is actually able to do this, right? The whole myth of like, oh, well, your baby's not going to fit through those hips, right? Or anything like that. That's not actually true. Your body is incredibly intelligent and it knows what it needs to do. It stops doing what it needs to do when you intervene with the process, whether it's through your fear, through your thought. If you don't think that those fears and thoughts, like they play a massive role in how our body responds to stuff. And when you're intervening in that process, your body will listen to what you're telling it and you're telling it to be scared. Yes. So there's one little thing that I do with my clients too, and it's the hypnobirthing realm where it's releasing those fears. And I talk to them at month before they have the baby and it's ways of all those fears that you are looking at that are in that path to looking at this as a peaceful, open those doors and you're ready to have this baby. You're, I need you to kind of resolve those in whatever realm you can tie them up in a little box in a boat and push them to the side so that you can say, I'm ready to have this baby, whether it's prior fears, abuse, trauma, drama, something that's gone on in the past, something that's happened with a birth prior to that. It's ways of Mm -hmm. wrapping up those little things and saying, okay, this is how I'm going to resolve this, pushing them to the side that you have to take away that fear factor. I think um, having a doula totally takes away the fear because you have someone who's going to help you do that. I also, when you compartmentalize the birth and you stay home through all of your early labor, you don't rush to the hospital unless there's some reason to, but you also realize that each contraction, even at even as you approach 10 centimeters is around a minute long. Things I say to my clients is you can do anything for a minute. The peak of that, that surge wave contraction, whatever we decide to call it, it's about four really, really good deep breaths where I'm coaching or your partner's coaching you by the time you do that fourth, when you're coming down the other side and you get a break. And sometimes we're talking like you and I are. Yeah. Then the next surge comes. So it's saying, wow, I'm not sick. I'm not diseased. I haven't broken a body, a body part and breathing through the peaks of those surges and okay, let's regroup for the next one. And each contraction you have brings you one step closer to that baby in your arms. And there's a really cool prize at the end too. Yes. Yeah. I love that. It's just ways of just changing the realm of thinking. I just think it's such a beautiful thing, Brooke. It really is. It is. When you really look at what your body's capable of, it's pretty amazing. One thing I just want to say, do you know what they equate a woman's body from the time you conceive until you actually deliver your baby? Do you know what they equate the exertion on your body to? Oh, it's more than running a marathon. It's like an ultra marathon. It's climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. That's amazing. And they say the surges are equivalent to 27 bones being broken at once. And yet we still do. And we just, and we do it. And then we have the baby and we put all this pressure on ourselves to get our body back, quote unquote, right. To be able to do it all, to be able to keep up with everything, be everybody's everything at the same time. And I try to remind women, I'm like you, your body, like, while it's an amazing thing, just went through a massive trauma. Like you literally just delivered a human out of yourself, whether it was C-section or vaginal, you just had a massive trauma. And then leading up to that, your body spent almost 10 months creating that human and pulling from its stores. Like you need to just take some time to chill and take the pressure off yourself of what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I a hundred percent in that postpartum realm, as far as, you know, when I see my clients in breastfeeding, I'm like these first two weeks, 
this is what I say to them. It's kind of hellish and I'm not trying to be mean. I want them to hear that word so that when I say it's hellish and so that they don't feel abnormal when it feels so abnormal and they think they're the only one up in the middle of the night crying. Sometimes, sometimes both partners are crying and babies crying and everybody feels like, what did we do? Yes. Um, but it is normal because I think when we feel that it's abnormal, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. It is not abnormal. I say, you know, these first two weeks, let's not think past these ter- first two weeks in labor and postpartum short-term goals. Yep. What I want you to do, my client that just delivered last week, she's like, we just decided that what we're going to do. She had her second baby. She's like, we just decided that what we're going to do is we're just making sure that we're fed baby's fed. I'm fed. And we were alive when he comes home from work. Yep. You know? Yeah. So one of the best things you can do, I've told people is like, start in the beginning of pregnancy, start putting aside some money now to, you know, whether it's like financially budgeting or what to, to have that support postpartum, whether it be paying someone to have come clean your home for a couple of weeks, having, or, you know, hiring some support from like friends, family, whatever, telling people what you need, right. Instead, and allowing yourself to receive that instead of feeling guilty about that, saying to people, Hey, I actually don't need you to come hold the baby. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And, and have that conversation of this is the way that I need to be supported in this timeframe. And there is nothing selfish, mean, rude about you advocating for that and saying that in that time. Right. And, and one thing I say is like, if you don't have the money for postpartum care, yeah, um, I usually say, if you have a mom, a sister, a friend who there are usually those, that small little group of people that are willing to come in and cook and clean and do your laundry and make sure you get a nap and a shower. I say, you know, most grandmas, if you say to them, if you have that luxury or a friend or, or, or a sister, that's like, how can I help? I think one of the best things to do is you have them come and they sleep in the living room or another room with the baby and they bring the baby into breastfeed and take them back out so that when yeah. they are fussy in between those times, you know, you have another human responsible adult watching that baby. So you can cash out, even if it's two hours, yeah. you're not worrying about the fussing and the diapers and the burping and all that stuff. You just say baby's done. They take care of them. Even if it's, even if you look forward to just one night a week where you're going to get more, more decent sleep where you don't have to worry. Cause you worry about is the baby breathing and all those, those nuances of being nervous about having that new baby home. You've got this adult there that you respect and love. And if that's something you can do, sometimes that alone helps you recoup so that the next day you can be on and you just get through the next day. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about lactation postpartum because I, I have friends and and I I've seen it happen too often where it breaks my heart, where they're struggling with lactation in some way, shape or form. And then they end up switching to formula or, you know, something where, and I don't want to shame, right. I don't want to shame anyone who's had to go to that. We've used it with both of our kids in some way, shape or form, but in this, so there's nothing wrong with you needing to add something in, but I always go to like, well, why did you have to make that choice? Right. Right. And was it made, you know, out of like, you felt like you were doing something wrong or you weren't supported the best way. And I think that's what I see so often with women is they're not supported. They feel like they're failing. They don't know where to go for support and they want to be able to breastfeed, but 
all they hear is the horror stories of breastfeeding, or they're told that it's just, it's just a job and it's, you know, takes so much time away and they're not supported in that time. And so where do you really see when, you know, when you've seen women be really successful with it and you've seen women struggle, what are the the differences that you've seen and what are the things that kind of need to happen for someone to really be able to be successful with that? So first of all, I think during the, during your pregnancy, it's, it's great to be well-informed. It's great to take a breastfeeding class to know, um, read up on it, get, there's lots of great books. Um, Nancy Morbacher is a great person on, she's got her books on Amazon and whatnot. Um, lots of great breastfeeding books to kind of read through and get yourself in the realm that breastfeeding in the very beginning takes a lot of time. But I also believe it, that when it takes that amount of time, it's your way of sitting down and you can't do anything else. Enjoy your baby because it doesn't, it's not like that forever. So I think when people are sitting and nursing 90% of their day, they get a little overwhelmed and they think again, it's, it's abnormal. And this is all I'm going to do. How do I ever function? So people need to know, first of all, on an educational realm, what it entails in the very beginning. Okay. I think it's a way of saying, mama, sit down, nurse your baby and heal and just enjoy your baby because it's not long before that baby's on and off much quicker. They're nursing longer in between sessions. Another thing I tell my clients is the first two weeks. If you feel like you are sitting on this couch, nursing your baby 90% of the day, it's okay. If you just nursed your baby and 20 minutes later, they seem hungry. That mother gut is going to tell you, put that baby to the breast. Yeah. And it's okay because it's all supply and demand. Couple things that I want women to know that are, that are important to me is a lot of people feel like quote unquote, their milk is not in until they actually get engorged in this white flowy milk. Like we see cow's milk that it's not in your milk. Your very first milk is your colostrum, which our bodies were not meant to starve our babies. They need a small little teaspoon and it's like a little teaspoon of honey every few hours. So your milk is in. So people over and over say to me, my milk's not in. Yes, it is. in. some of you might even see it at the end of pregnancy leaking out or crusty on your nipples. Your milk is in, it's about two to three days of that. Then it turns transitional. Um, you watch the amount of poops and peas. You also, most hospitals should be giving you a book that tells you how many poops and peas, as well as seeing the pediatrician. Here's the next thing. Most people are going into the pediatrician and getting their baby weighed when baby is plummeting to their lowest, but yet it's the day that milk is just your mature milk is just starting to come in, which is day five, roughly. Okay. Yeah. And so we met, we, we put these babies on the scale at this cross point and everybody kind of goes, oh my goodness, you've lost this amount of weight. And it's not as scary as you think. If you've already been successful with lactation or you've seen lactation, a lot of times I say, I know you're doing well, ask them for 24, another 24 hours, because if they've gained a half an ounce to an ounce the next day, then you're sailing free, right? Yes, there are not a ton of resources. There's a few practices in this area that actually sit in your home and work with you. I work all over Metro Detroit. I'm obviously a great resource, um, as you know. I try to help as many people as I can within 24 to 48 hours. I try to get to my clients. I would say 
if they are experiencing pain throughout the whole feed, the nipple comes out looking flat and creased or like a lipstick, it is not okay. That nipple sh should look well shaped, shapen like it was prior to that baby getting on there. Um, big, open, wide mouth. It's an asymmetric latch, not symmetric. I think that sometimes we educate this hamburger hold. It's not. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is in five to 10 minutes, I can usually get someone pretty well understanding the physiology of why it needs to look the way that I get the baby on. And it is very daunting. You have to reach for help. You know, for me, my services are $150, but it's a lot cheaper than formula. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you have to, and even all during COVID, I did a ton of virtual. Uh, I find for myself, I have found it very successful during virtual as well. I like to go in, in home though. And I spend one to two hours with you. And what I do is I think because the hospital is limited, there's not, there's a little bit of education and there's little instruction. So what happens is they might say you're doing well, that looks good, but or they might've instructed, but they haven't let you actually do it yourself. Yeah. I go in, I instruct, I tell them when, you know, most of them are weeping while I'm there because they're, they're very sad. And that's what breaks my heart, Brooke, is this should not be happening. Yeah. And so these, when they're crying and they're like, I said, I want you to know, I am not leaving your house until I've given you the baby as if your partner's given you the baby and I have them go through everything until I watch them latch several times successfully. Yeah. And yeah. then I let them know you have my support afterwards. And just to know that, oh my goodness, between nine and nine during the day, I could call or text Jen for this week or so after it just to know, okay, she's leaving. Cause a lot of times they get nervous, but that I still have this support. The success comes with knowing how much time consuming breastfeeding is in the beginning, but that it's not forever yep. um, that it shouldn't hurt. It does. Some babies come out and just do a great latch from the very beginning. Um, I would say more often than not they're they don't. And a lot of people say, I don't understand why this is not so normal. It should be a, a natural thing. I said, we have to remember again, let's go back to America. Yeah. We do not deem breastfeeding. We tell people breastfeeding at breast is best but we don't follow through. Follow through is so important. We also, you don't look around European, Asian countries, everybody's nursing. Sometimes aunts are nursing their sister's children when they go to work. I mean, in the Philippines and stuff like that, kids grow up watching breastfeeding, 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 breastfeeding. It's normal. It's yes. still, unfortunately, not so normal here. It's not as much. And after our first, I pumped and I, it was like this pressure. I had to go back to work after eight weeks. And that's when I decided to start my business because I spent half my day pumping and, and putting things together. And it's, and it's, you know, it's like, well, how, how do women keep this up? There's so much pressure on women to go back before these things are established at eight weeks. I wasn't even out of the fourth trimester yet. Right. And there was so much pressure to go back and be productive when my body hasn't even gone through the full healing process that it needed to go through. No right. wonder women are struggling with breastfeeding, right? It's, it's, right. there's all this pressure, whether it's internal pressure or external pressure, there's a presumption of that pressure being there that they have to be productive and breastfeeding keeps you from being productive. But instead of getting back to like, well, no, this is actually what you're supposed to be doing right now, right? right. Like this is actually your job right now versus going into like, you don't have to do everything for everybody. People can survive without you having to be everything for everyone else. Right, Brooke. And I think too, that that's why 
again, we look at the American model and lots of European countries, they have them and their husbands have nine months off. It actually takes a full year for your body to fully recover from that labor. Yeah. Delivery from the pregnancy. Well, I tell women postpartum is two years postpartum, especially if you're nursing, right? It takes, it takes up to 18 months on average for you to replenish the nutrients baby took from you during that time frame, right? So you're still in a postpartum stage within that two-year time frame after having a baby. Right. And Brooke kind of commenting on your, your, you were talking about getting back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. So a lot of times what happens is we also give women the green light for everything at six weeks. Yes. And women think, you know, if they were again, standards, however they feel about themselves, I need to get back into shape and whatnot. Yep. They don't realize when you're pregnant, you need three to 500 extra calories. Pregnancy nursing is five to 800 extra. So a lot of these women are going back to, and they get the green light. So they automatically start doing extra workout, not to say you can't work out. You have to make up for it because you're feeding a human outside of your body now, and it's going to jeopardize your supply working out or they start cutting calories when actually you need more calories. And before you know it, they've had a tanked supply. And, and so we, we have to realize that we need good nutrients for your body, but good nutrients for your baby too. babies that maybe aren't gaining so much weight. We also have to look at the consistency of mom's milk. It's those good fats. It's the, you know, I'll say to them that have a discrepancy in, um, their hind milk compared to their, their formal compared to their hind milk. Like we've got, I'm like, if you're making a smoothie, you need to add an extra tablespoon of coconut oil. Um, get those almonds, get those avocados, those eggs, everything like that, because we are, your body is working again so hard. We've just delivered this baby. You're trying to replenish those nutrients from delivery. Now you're feeding a human. I mean, our bodies are so super, super, super incredible, but we also have to be tender with them too. Oh my God, you're preaching my language. So I, I mean, I tell women all the time, I'm like, well, one, you just sacrificed a lot of nutrients for so long. Then you just went through a trauma. Now your body, you're not sleeping at night. So your body's not getting the restoration or recovery that it need be to be expected, right? We know that's going to happen. Your hormones tanked after you had the baby, right? And then now your hormones and your whole endocrine system just basically took a massive hit. Right. And then you have to understand that that endocrine system is is responsible for your your metabolic response, right? So if you're not eating enough, you are further. And this is where I get women who come to me, you know, six months, nine months, 12 months, postpartum, even two years postpartum that are like, something's just off. I'm just not feeling well. My hormones are off. And I'm like, yeah, you started that process after you had the baby. When you pushed yourself to start working out sooner, get back into your genes faster, started cutting your calories, not eating the nutrients that you needed to not risk, not resting your body like you were supposed to. And you pushed your stress and then your, your endocrine system took a massive hit and it was never able to recover because you never gave yourself that break that you needed. And when you rush, I always tell women, I'm like the worst thing you can do more than anything is rush yourself back into something after you've had a baby mm-hmm. and you're and even like the, the breastfeeding nutrition a lot of times women still think, oh, it's carbs, carbs, carbs. I need to eat all the carbs. They're like, no, you actually need more than adequate protein than you think you should be consuming and fats. 
more than anything. You're replenishing, you're, you're rebuilding your body. Yes. Um, and we, I keep coming back to this American model, Brooke, but those, these other European, especially the Asian, Asian countries that give them a 40 day stay at home, yeah. these, these moms, I've seen it in my own clients. These Asian mothers are coming over and their mom and my Asian and Indian moms, they're sitting in their bed and their mother is they're in their PJs and they are, they are being taken care of. And these mothers are making specific foods yes. to replenish the, the blood loss, to repair cells. And we just don't do that. And a lot of times I have to say to partners, she's sitting here nursing. I go, she needs those three really good meals, but almost every time she's sitting down to nurse, something should be coming to her mouth. I don't care if it's a banana and peanut butter, if it's yeah. a handful of, of, of almonds, um, if it's a smoothie that you've made her add that extra olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, something in there to give her the extra zip. If she's it's a lot of mine, especially like if they've had a C-section, it's major surgery. They don't feel hungry for the first week. Yeah. Yeah. I go and I'm doing a breast consult, a, a breastfeeding consult at one o'clock in the afternoon. They're like, I haven't really eaten yet. I'm like, Oh my goodness, mama. Yeah. A, one nurse said to my client and I use this now, she said for the first two weeks after you have your baby, you're to put a tiara, you're pre to pretend you have a tiara on and anything that would cause that tiara to fall off. You're not supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're to eat, drink, rest, and feed your baby. Yep. People don't realize that the reason we give them a six week recovery is because you also have a huge wound, the size of your placenta in your uterus yeah. that is still healing. Yeah. Six weeks is not the time frame for when you can go start crushing your body. Six weeks is the time frame for the wound to heal and that's it. And it's not the time frame for when everything is back to where it should be because it's not. And I try to tell people, I'm like, you know, that's when you can really start like a core rehabilitation, right? That's when you should really be starting to repair anything that like, we all kind of naturally are going to have a diastasis recti after you've had a right. baby, right? Those things and start to do some core rehabilitation things and ease yourself back in, start doing some walking, start getting outside and getting in nature, you know, start getting those things. But yeah, to the nutrients point, a lot. There's a book that's really good. It's called the first 40 days that I've told women about before, but it's got a lot of recipes through it. And a lot of those recipes are, it kind of goes, it goes into that Asian culture with, with supporting women after they've had a baby and, you know, bone broth based stews and soups and warming foods so that your body can heal that high protein protein is going to help that nutrient repair and that tissue replenishment. You yeah. need it. If you're not eating adequate protein. Yeah. Yep. So it's getting down to those cells that have been kind of, um, guess what they're traumatized. Yeah. Those cells are traumatized. And then it, it just blows me away that our body's like, okay, now feed this human and make it grow outside of us. Yeah. Like, oh, but we do it. So you're right. The, our, our bodies, our bodies are wonderful machines, but we have to give them some grace and we need to tend to them. Absolutely. Mentally and physically. Well, I think this was an awesome conversation. I know we could talk about this forever. So if someone is in Metro Detroit, what is the best way for them to get in contact with you if they feel like they need some support? The best way is to go onto my website. It's Jen, J-E-N, Lou, L-E-W, 
the doula, D-O-U-L-A, jenlutheDoula.com. You can, um, it'll send an entry to my email and I will, I look at it very readily. Um, if you ever hear someone who gives my name and they just give my cell phone out too, that is totally fine too. 248-321-8963. I get texts and emails all day, every day. Try not to do it in the middle of the night because I'm on call for births almost 365 days a year. So if I hear you call me and you're just asking me about a breastfeeding consult, Jen wakes up and then menopausally I'm up for two hours. So if you can keep it to daylight hours, that is beautiful. I am more than willing to help and service anybody as much as I can. There's lots of, if not, I'll send you to a colleague, but the help is there. You just need to know where and how to get it. If you do um, want do the services for me, I'm sometimes booking eight months out as soon as someone finds out they're pregnant. So I take three to four months. That's probably the average for most doulas. So if you think you want a doula, um, let me know ASAP. And I'm always happy to talk to someone on the phone. I also give phone counsel advice if someone's having like mastitis or something. And I charge a small fee for that, but you can certainly contact me if you need anything, pregnancy, birth, postpartum or lactation. And I'm happy to walk you through that. I don't want anybody to feel alone or unsupported in this world because it's, I'll say it again. It's rude. We don't want to be rude to our women. I want you guys to feel nurtured and loved and supported through this process because it's so important. I love that. Yep. Support the people who are making the people. That's right. I love it. Easier. Yeah. All right. I will list all of that in the show notes. So if you're driving, don't try to write anything down. Just click on it when you get somewhere. It's all there for you. Um, But it was so good chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks, Brooke. You're an amazing resource as well. Always enjoy hearing and seeing and talking to you. Thank you. Take care, Brooke. Have a good one. And that's it for this episode on the Power of a Woman podcast. If any part of this episode resonated with you, I would greatly appreciate you giving it a review, sharing it on your social media and tagging me for another woman who may need to hear it too. If changing the narrative is something you're ready to take action on, my coaching programs are set up to help you do just that. We will address the nutrition, movement, lifestyle, stress, gut health, and hormonal needs that you individually have as a woman so that we can help you feel your absolute best and own your power too. Connect with me on Instagram at Brooke Razzi or head over to my website at brookrazzi.com to learn more.